We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It's a 4-0 victory in Wales, but is the performance enough to pull the wool over the eyes of the supporters? We'll discuss that and more on this edition of the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am joined as ever by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Tim, fresh back from his trip to Wales, and uh, he just informed us that he saw plenty of sheep on his travels. We can discuss that, although maybe not. Uh, and so we welcome him into the show. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Uh, quick moment. We are recording this uh, on Monday, so it is Martin Luther King Day, and I just want to say, I believe on behalf of the podcasters, uh, that we join in the celebration of the day of a great man with a great legacy and hope that his teachings and uh, traditions and legacy can continue to be carried forward. Um, definitely someone who I think is a huge inspiration here, and Tim, I imagine, um, equally beloved across the pond? Uh, yes, I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, well, we certainly celebrate him today. Uh, in any event, uh, speaking of, uh, there's there's really a lot of, of hero figures we have to discuss today. Um, Olivier Giroud won to the discussion, I assure you. But let's start just with the start of the match. And Paul, start with you. Uh, I'm going to set the agenda so that uh, you're forced to answer the question as I establish it. Seems we really fair. struggled to get hold of the game early, and Swansea carved open... Uh, a few chances, I don't know that you'd call them high-value or high-quality chances, but we certainly really struggled to get any control of the game, create any sustained attacks or, or any sustained pressure on Swansea. What do you attribute the early struggles to, especially against a team that has been nothing short of calamitous defensively? Yeah, I mean, if it were a one-off, that would be one thing, but I think we've seen this pattern recently a little bit, so Slow I don't starts, know yeah. what... Yeah. I don't really know what the big picture issue is. I mean, uh, we're also, I mean, when you think of the stats about us coming back from a goal down more than any club in the club, in the league, it kind of fills you with pride till you think what that means. <laughs> we're also quite good at scoring late. So we're, we're kind of, you never can quite put us in a box at the end of the day from season to season. It's always something a bit different. Um, to d- Except but if I for look where at- we finish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just about. It, it has a crushing inevitability about it. At I'll least take it this 16. season. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. It it's, it's, could be a lively one this this year as we steal fourth from the jaws of victory. Um, I think that, you know, if I just judge this match on its own merits, I think, we, again, we started like... I think we were trying to move the ball around at a reasonable pace, but failing miserably. Uh, you know, uh, we looked 
cumbersome. We looked slow. Uh, didn't didn't spill a huge number of passes, but enough that that on top of a slow start, uh, it all kind of holds you back. And of course, as you would expect, Swansea started like a train, uh, trying to impress the new manager, or full of uh, lambs in spring. Um, frolicking around the around the fields they were just uh you know this was this is the new era with their new manager full of promise um and they kept they kept their side of it of the bargain up for maybe 20 25 minutes uh certainly until our goal but then they kind of went into a gradual decline but i think it took us 20 25 minutes for ramsey chaka really to find their their feet um, I, we probably mostly all saw that video that uh, Reunual uh, shared today on uh, th- that midfield partnership. Did you see it, Elliot? I did not, actually. So I appreciate actually, you uh, bringing me up yeah. to date on it. Yeah, pretty much everybody else did, though, eh, Tim? Yes, <laughs> so, yes I saw it, yeah. yeah and so what was the that, thrust of this? this the thrust uh, of it was that they spent, yeah, they spent 20, 25 minutes trying to play the pivot role uh, kind of symmetrically. They tried to do the same things. And, and that amazingly, that was kind of, I kind of had that mini insight myself. They, they were, Ramsey was often as deeper, deeper. And it wasn't until they worked out a division of labor a little bit later on and Ramsey started, you know, you, you had more of a gradation in the midfield in terms of, some angles, etc. Ramsey pushing forward a little bit, and Ramsey using his skills. I mean, his skills and and Chaka's are are almost uh, 180 degrees in certain areas. So, um, you know, Chaka started sitting a little deeper and and passing and uh, spreading the ball. Subtle changes, but enough that we started to take some shape, and people knew what the role was, and we got into a bit of a rhythm. And, you know, before it wasn't just the goal, because before the goal we were starting, the goal was due. And it Mm -hmm. came from a couple of nice passages of play. And you could say that about the second goal, albeit a deflection, the third and the fourth. You know, we ramped up over time. Each goal really felt like it was coming. Maybe the first one came a little earlier than than we'd quite earned it. But we're kind of getting into our swing. Uh, Swansea weren't shit yet, but they were perhaps showing a few signs of it. And by the second goal, the slide was on. So I really do think it comes down to that midfield. I mean, there were other changes in in the pitch, around the pitch. Um, I know we'll get on to the Giro conversation. I I won't go into that now. But but in terms of this question, yeah, Giro probably held us back a little bit in terms of our fluidity. But as we got better, even with Giro Giro on the pitch, he was on the pitch a long time before... before, um, you got him off there, Elliot. I did. Um, you know, um, Sanchez found a role on the on the pitch that was starting to suit him, and he was, you know, he probably put his foot on the ball metaphorically six or seven times and chipped it into attacking positions. And we started yeah. that before the goal, and as part of the goal, you start seeing uh, Sanchez beginning to impose himself on the game. So, even from a style of play, I think we actually started playing pretty well. Um, before uh, Giroud departed, before halftime and after half time, we got better. But we can get into that. All sure. right, um, back to you. So, so, <laughs> okay, and and that's that's all from Paul. Thank you, Paul. Um, Bye. So, Tim, I mean, I, I think. Well, first of all, do you agree that that it was a, a pretty rough start from us? Yeah, definitely. It 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 really was. I I felt actually that first half an hour was um, on a par, for want of a better expression, with Preston and Bournemouth. I thought it was really poor. Well, okay. I'm um, glad you mentioned that. <laughs> because, so our worst first halves of the season, in my opinion, would be this one, Preston and Bournemouth. Um, yeah. There is a unifying trait to those uh, games, which is that Olivier Giroud started all of them. Um, you know, now that we've seen him start quite a bit more than we had, obviously, in the first part of the season... Um, he continues to control the narrative by getting on the score sheet. And it is really hard to make any argument that contradicts his importance to the team when he's doing that. And I, I, I understand that there is a, a, ch- a sort of difficulty in understanding criticizing a player who continues to get end product. But now that we've seen these three really sort of turgid, uh, lifeless 
so static first halves from Arsenal. I mean, is it fair? I, I think Paul really uh, comprehensively covered the midfield issue. Is it fair to say that Olivier Giroud's inclusion from the start is having a profound impact on how we're building up and, and attacking in the first halves of games? It's part of it, yeah, and I think it was part of it on this occasion. I think the main reason on this occasion, though, was that um, we just sat off far too deep, um, particularly in the first half. You know, we didn't have Mustafi coming out and, you know, giving those interceptions. You look at the way the second and third goals were scored. Um, there's an interception in the centre circle. I think for the second goal, it's Nacho. And I think for the third goal, it's Jacker. And we got much better at, at kind of pressing a little bit. And obviously, you know, there's if you're talking about asserting yourselves on a game and playing a bit of a pressing game away from home, we were missing um, two players. The two players who help us do that the most in the spine of the team are Coquelin and when you've got Alexis up front and you take those two out of the spine, albeit Alexis is still there, just not quite in the spine, then I think that creates um, a few issues. And I think Paul's right to kind of say that, that Ramsey and Jacko hadn't really sorted things out. I still think Ramsey looks a little bit like he's desperately trying not to go forward too much before um, the manager tells him in the second half, look, go forward a bit, um, almost like he's being a bit too discerning. But yeah, Giroud is part of it. Um, playing him there. I don't know whether it's because that creates the confusion. Um, also, I, th I think sometimes my frustration with Giroud's movement early in games is that um, he tries to get away from his marker, you know, not when we're in really advantageous positions, but when we're, you know, building up play, he tries to come away from his marker. Um, and that sounds like a really stupid criticism, but actually he's strong enough to stick with his marker and engage him and basically take him out of the game and, you know, play a little bit higher up the pitch. I think sometimes perhaps he's a little bit too keen to come back towards the centre circle. And that, that's kind of all right if, um, if you know, we're being rushed into an out ball or, you know, the goalkeeper's got the ball and all of his short passing options or throwing options are, are cut off, then yes, uh, come back and do that. But sometimes I think he does that a bit too early in a move instead of pinning the centre-halves. Um, I think the positive in terms of Giroud being up there was for his goal, um, Ozil actually does make that kind of run that he was making when Alexis was playing up front. And actually, it's like Ozil did because, you know, one of the complaints about Giroud is sometimes he occupies the space that some of our runners want to go into. Um, and actually, in the last couple of games, you know, Ramsey's got forward and scored one. And Ozil was on the edge of the six-yard box winning a header um, for a goal as well. And I, I think that's probably a, a positive development in terms of our midfielders getting forward because that was one of the one of the attractive things about having Alexis up front is that we have a, a better variety of runner and it makes us less predictable. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think... I, I think there are a few factors. Maybe we're a bit timid and I think that does invite question in terms of trying to play a bit higher up the pitch which we did in the second half the whole team moved 10 yards further forward and we were a bit tighter as a unit but that does invite questions as to what the hell does the manager say to them before kickoff what's his team talk he only it, it just feels like he only well you know it looks like he only does a team talk at half time um i kind of get and understand and even think there are strengths to you know letting the players work it out for themselves in the long term but I'm not sure we should be doing that from the first whistle it, it feels a little bit like or it looks like it's a kind of yeah I don't know how we're going to play today work it out for yourselves and then at half time he puts them right and you know it feels like your manager should add value before during yeah, before the game, during the game, and during half half time, rather than taking yeah. like one or two of those periods off, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I, Giroud being up there definitely plays into it. Not least because we lose the press, and that probably means that the team does drop ten yards further back because then we're not really doing the pressing game. And particularly teams that want to play the long ball. If you're one of our centre halves, you want to be there in case. It comes over, whereas when Alexis is up there, when Coquelin's in midfield, everyone's a bit more on the front foot. So it's it's a 
big part of the equation, but I don't think on this occasion it was the whole equation. Um, I mean, would you say that the, one of the big changes is just the, the impact on the right side of our attack of not having Bellerin? I mean, when, when Walcott and Bellerin were playing, we were getting so much end product and, and so much threat down the right side, and now with a center back playing right back and you know not really having a, a true wide player on the right flank. I mean, is, is that also contributing? I mean, it's so easy to look at the Ramsey Shaka midfield and moving Giroud back into the center, but it's a pretty major overhaul to the way we were playing on the right flank. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, you know, I'd, I'd possibly counter that by saying that Iwobi was probably our best player on the day, and he, of course, but, but totally different right, style but... of of playing on the from the wide yeah, position yeah, than a Theo Walcott, who's going to make those those straight runs Definitely. in behind defenders and overlap with Bellerin, Right? I mean, it's it's a complete yeah, yeah. flip of of the dynamic from earlier in the season. Indeed, yeah, yeah. It's, it's mechanically totally different. Um, not necessarily ineffective, but yeah, definitely very different. And that could, uh, well, it probably does play a little bit of a part in it as well. You know, we've got a central midfield partnership who the manager has been very reluctant to play together to this point. We've got a different centre forward. Um, the, the whole right side's different. So maybe it's to be expected that it might take us a little while to feel our way into games. But then it makes you wonder why that doesn't translate into the second half. Why do they seem to get much clearer instructions at halftime than they do before the game? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think if you look at it too, right, I mean, if you're going to play Olivier Giroud up front, and I'll just flip it over to you for a second, Paul. I mean, I look at Lucas Perez, Oxley chamberlain Theo Walcott. Those are our more traditional wide players or, or players who are capable, I think, of playing in a more traditional wide way. I realize that both Theo... And Lucas have at times played through the middle or wanted to play through the middle, but we've seen them have you know traditional wide roles. Alexis and Awobi are not. They're going to drift inside. They're going to carry the ball centrally. Um, they want to stitch play together and and link up with with the more central players. So if you're going to play Olivier Giroud, is it maybe a little bit counterintuitive, especially when you don't have Hector Bellerin overlapping? So you're not going to get the width from your fullback there. Is it a little strange not to choose at least one forward on one wing who's going to stay wide, whether that's Lucas, whether it's Ox, I realize Theo wasn't available, who will deliver those crosses? I mean, the opening goal does come, granted, not from traditional wide play, but from a cross by Alexis that Ozil heads down and Giroud cleans up. I just think it seems strange to me that in a game where you are playing your target man center forward, you don't have anyone who's going to stay wide and deliver balls into the box. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, let me hit two points there. It seems strange to me, and you wouldn't have to persuade me too long that I wanted Lucas Perez to start on the right surprise. Well, surprise. I told you, he's he's not starting ever again. Yeah. I predicted the exact <laughs> games he would start this season. He started those games, and he's done. That's that. Clearly, Arson wanted a piece of this action. He's, and he's, got, he's in on the bet. Tim, Tim, you're with me, right? Lucas is never starting again, right? Oh, yeah, who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas who? So... But I, I guess I can see why in this game, uh, you know, you're starting Chaka and Ramsey and he wants to give them some extra pro, uh, protection with effectively an adva- uh, will be acting as an advanced midfielder. I mean, the amazing thing was that Ozil was so influential in this game in terms of touches and like key moments, etc. But honestly, I didn't notice him. Uh, I didn't think you know, he I had fe- a good game at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I realized uh, that he was involved, but I didn't think he was particularly effective. Yeah, I, I'm of the opinion he probably did have a very good game. Um, but uh, And I'm still not quite sure. I haven't watched it my second time. Um, but he's, uh, you know, lots of touches, key passes, effect, you know, quite in the effect on the game. But it just, you know, maybe the game doesn't notice he's, he does what he does either. Um, and that's half the problem. Whereas somebody like an Iwobi, um, I mean, it's far more than just the fact that he's he's a more visual player who's who who demands attention when he has the ball and he's bumping into people and he's kind of making stuff happen. Um, it, you know, he, he does have the the desire to run towards the ball to get involved to link up play. Now Ozil does loads of that as well, but but you kind of feel you needed a Wobi hooking up with our midfield uh, as a a little extra measure to make sure that 
Ramsey and Chaka had plenty of people to ping the ball back and forward. So I could see that as a conservative, not overly conservative, but somewhat conservative move versus a Perez who is going to be more attacking, who has some pretty good uh, connecting and hold up play, but he's not going to head straight to the middle to make stuff happen for other players. He's going to want to be on the end of some of that. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, if we were a little bit more mature in this formation and maybe he was more secure again about the right back and our midfield uh, having played themselves into some kind of form, maybe he'd have started more aggressively. But he does like a Wobi, so you know, I think it's a little bit of a compromise, but a compromise in the direction he's going to tend to fall. He likes a Wobi when he can start him. Should, should Wobi be is Wobi ready to be in your opinion based on just his performances? I'm not his age, but his quality. Is he ready to be this uh, undroppable, this essential to our to our lineup at this point, or would you prefer to see, you know, a Lucas and I realize they're very different players, or a n other player taking that role and making a Wobi a little bit more peripheral? Well, in a way, what I want is for Ozil to stamp his mark on a game to a point where we don't feel the need for a Wobi. Um, and so, or answering it in another way, I think a Wobi is very close and on some performances fully merits the, uh, you know, uh, one of the early names on the list as a starter. Um, he's very influential now in our style of play. And you can see that Wenger doesn't just enjoy the guy, he enjoys what he brings to the team. Uh, but, of course, we've seen him kind of drift for a few games, so I don't think he's has quite the maturity there, but his style of play can be so influential, influential it can set the tone of a team, uh, kind of in the same way sometimes Welbeck, in a less advantageous position to do it, can really change the dynamic of a, and a tone of a team the way... Theo, who I love, just quite can't. He just doesn't impose himself on the game. And it's not just about number of p touches, because Ozil had lots of touches. I mean, it's great kind of being silky and kind of disappearing off the radar, radar and popping up in dangerous spots. But in some games, that doesn't feel like it's enough, and maybe it doesn't feel like it's enough to the game. So, you know, Iwobi versus Ozil is a very interesting dilemma. Not that I see Ozil ever getting dropped. Um, but well, maybe next season should, when he's not here anymore. But yeah, yeah. But you shouldn't need a Wobi, um, and yet we do. So yeah, I, I'm I mean, just Tim, scratching my head on that one. Just real quick, your thoughts. I mean, I think a Wobi played well. Are you are you of the opinion that this this is a player we're asking a little too much of at this point? Like, is that is that an area where there should be one more senior option that's kind of not there? In that it's probably not Ox, and it's probably not uh, Lucas from the looks of it. Um, is Iwobi someone that you're ready to see having this this kind of um, importance to the team? I mean, I've, I've felt that since July or August, or, well, probably quite a lot longer, actually, that, that we really need like a, a really good, convincing senior option there. I, I will say I thought Iwobi was outstanding i think he's i think he's been really really good the last three weeks or so um he really look, looks like he's kind of come back into some form i think that's probably because he was given you know a few weeks where he was not quite dropped but his role reduced and he was given a bit of a breather and you've got to manage players like that like that really you can't you know i i've said before i i think he's too important but not and that's not a criticism of him. It's that's because he's twenty years old and he's not going to be consistent yet. He has the exact type of qualities that that this team really, really needs. And um, when he plays like he did against Swansea, he's he's pretty much indispensable because we just really need a player who does exactly that. Um, I, you know, I, I think effectively what he is is an excellent replacement for Thomas Rosicki. He does a lot of the same things. Um, and really injects some of that tempo into our game. And I think it gives us a really nice mix because, you know, you've got players like, um, you know, whether we, whether we think of them being first-team players or not, but players like Coquelin, like Alexis, and like Iwobi, who inject that kind of pace and that tempo. And then we've got kind of more thoughtful, considered players like Ozil, 
um, when he's fit, like Cazorla, like Granite Jacker, um, and that that keeps a fairly nice mix and a fairly nice balance in there. And I think it won't be key to it whether he should be that key at his age, not not because of his quality, purely because of his age and the stage of his development. He probably shouldn't be as important as he is, but quality-wise, I'm I'm perfectly happy. Yeah, and I mean, I think, look, it is easy to look at someone who's 20 years old and say we shouldn't be depending on them. If they're good enough, they're old enough. But I, I do still think that consistency is hard to find at that age. We saw him have a little dip a few weeks ago, and I'm just not sure there's that option of a player with his kind of qualities that we can bring in instead of him. Um, so he, you know, he's become a very influential and important figure in the team. And honestly, I think that's a great thing because over the next several years, I think he's only going to get better and he could be a very, very special player for us. Um, I just wonder if right now there is just a little bit of a gap between what we could use in that position and what we are getting from that position. Um, l- let me ask you this. It's, you know, Swansea sat so deep towards the second half, they got really pinned back into their own half, and and they really ceased to be an attacking threat. But in the first half, we saw some vulnerability again where they were able to get some joy. And, you know, we're we're back into that mode now where it's a two-man midfield. They're pushed pretty high up the pitch. The fullbacks are overlapping, and there's space on the flanks where you can play long balls and, and immediately start to cause us problems. And... You know, I think back to when we got hammered in Anfield and hammered at Stamford Bridge, um, you know, where, where we were giving up sixes and fives that season, and we were playing a little bit like we're playing now systemically. Do you have any concern that the vulnerability we're starting to see, which hasn't necessarily been punished, I mean, granted, Bournemouth did punish it, but maybe not as much as it could have been, <clears throat> is potentially on the brink of being punished um, as we come up against teams like you know, Chelsea and Bayern Munich, obviously, yeah. um, in the coming weeks? Yeah, if we play like that, um, yes, if we play in exactly the same style, I'm not convinced we will. Um, I, you know, I don't think we saw that, for example, City away, as, as poor as the second half was. I don't think that's the way we set up, particularly Chelsea at home, uh, Liverpool at home. It's, it's so difficult to tell because the team was just unre- barely recognisable. Um, Spurs, we didn't really set out like that either. So, it, I mean, if we play like that and we're a bit open like that, then yes, um, we will will get beaten. Um, I'm absolutely sure of it. But I'm I'm just not convinced that that's what we'll do. I mean, I, I think we're kind of besieged by City, right? I mean, even even when you look at sort of the the way the game started, I mean, they. They cut us open pretty pretty easily at times. I just, I think the thing that's worrying to me is we have had a, I think a bit of a run of decent luck with not being punished by teams given our openness. And I, I don't know. I I don't know that I put it down to the individual defenders. I mean, for you, would you say if if you had to be concerned about us defensively, would you say you're concerned about the specific personnel more or just the style of play? No, more the style. Um, to be honest, I, like I. Th- I think against City, if anything, we should, well, not if anything, I think we should have been more adventurous against City. Of course, I think. Of course yeah, we sat they were entirely back at, the whole second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, that, and they were really there for the taking, and they've got, as we've seen time and again, they've got a really poor defence. Um, so if anything, actually, that, that game, we probably should have been, you know, a little bit more open open and a little bit more adventurous does that frustrate um, you by the way you know seeing them ship three goals four goals you know i mean does it just make it frustrate you even more that we never gave ourselves the chance to to put them under pressure it it does when i think about it yeah but i I try not to think about it too much (laughs) and always a good too much in the past because you know what what's the point really there's always other games to come and all of that but um yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not too worried about this um, this kind of thing where we go to a place like Swansea and we're a little bit open. I don't mind us being open so much, particularly when you look at the amount of goals we've scored this season. It's a fair point. Um, and, you know, you look at the amount of goals we've scored away, we've got what... Four, I, I know these aren't great teams, but still, we put four past Hull, we put four past Nottingham Forest, we put four past Basel, we put three past... Bournemouth, we put four past Swansea. Uh, we put was five it six past at Ludogrets? Six at 
uh, at home to Ludogorets, yeah. Uh, sorry, home, um, home to Ludogorets, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're scoring, we're scoring lots of goals away from home, um, albeit against rubbish teams, but that's, that's fine. That, that kind of suggests to me that the openness is working because, you know, the attack's working and, and, and therefore it's kind of okay. How we approach, you know, Liverpool away, Tottenham away, Chelsea away, I don't think it will be quite like that. I think I think we'll um, we'll be hopefully anyway. We'll be we'll certainly try to be a little bit tighter structurally. And in fact, against City, I thought we got the balance. We went too far the other way. Yeah. Um, I accept that City pressed us much harder, and we found that difficult to cope with in the second half. But I still think we were far too timid. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, look, I mean, ultimately, you can't argue with Arsene Wenger's record against bottom half teams, and you know the bottom 13 or 14 teams. I mean, he routinely is the manager who gets the most points off those sides. Um, this year, again, I think we have the most or second most. I think it's the most points against the bottom 13 or 14 clubs. And, yeah, 13. Yeah, but we're last we're in t- against the top the, um, seven. We're, yeah, exactly. We're bottom of the top six mini league at and the that, moment. Yeah, and you know the problem with that, Tim? I think this is the problem, right? If you finish fourth and you have some – uh, you know, just glorious victories over Spurs away and Chelsea away, and you beat United Old Trafford. Yeah, people can say, yeah, we, we finished in the top four and we had some really great wins. When you beat up on the bottom 13, but get tonked by City, United, Spurs, Chelsea, like, it's just hard to feel really excited about a season like that. So I think the narrative winds up getting written about your season, not so much based on where you finish, but based on how you performed in those big games, even though all the points count the same. Um, you know, and I know I've banged on about that a lot before, which is that at the end of the season, the things I remember are how we played at Stamford Bridge or home to Spurs or at Old Trafford, you know. So it would be nice to see some results because we're going to need them because we're going to some tough places in the coming weeks. Uh, Paul, I think one of the things that, um, you know, you and I have discussed, and I just want to touch on this quickly, and then, then I've got another question for you, is is the Lucas Perez thing, and we, we kind of had the joke about, is he going to come to the squad? I think it is telling that, when Giroud went off, Oxlade Chamberlain came in ahead of him. Um, Danny Welbeck is now back. Are you starting to worry at all or waver at all in your confidence that Perez will come into the squad in the second half and become an important figure, or is it increasingly becoming the likelihood now that he is really fully on the fringes of the squad? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm definitely worried. Which is uh, weird because he's played relatively well when he's played the last few weeks. And the manager said he had too. Yeah, but, um, but I mean, that, that was pretty telling, he, right? Ox coming on ahead yeah. of him. Him not starting, first of all, and then Ox coming on ahead of him when Giroud went off. Yeah, I can get my head around him not starting, he, he, despite my disappointment. I did think it was telling that he wasn't the first player on. And I mean, with Welbeck back and Ox yep. still seemingly somehow, you know, obviously Ox is not my favorite. I, I get that some people rate him more, but um, with Welbeck back and Ox seemingly ahead of him, and Theo Walcott probably poised for a return in the next two weeks or so. If Perez didn't yeah. make his point, make the argument for him being more involved in the last few weeks, it's hard to see how he's going to get that chance now. Um, it is, and I, I really think he's a you know great lipstick on the pig of Giroud. <laughs> no, you've said that, that, that he he's someone who can really... And I agree with you, because at the end of the day, you want someone who will stay wide, run past last defenders, and, and deliver the ball into the box, or... You know, help and, create and can those feed off Giroud's script. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's so tuned into what Giroud's about to do. Um, you practically got a two-man stri- uh, striker force there. So, well, I look, do think he's yeah. he's not the only one who's who's going to be battling for a place because it sounds like Coughlin is on the brink of coming back from uh, injury. Mm. And I guess you know we thought there was going to be an extended period for Shaq and Ramsey to gel. It doesn't look like it was that extended after all. If I, if Coughlin is back. I have to assume he's going to come back into the starting lineup. So look into your crystal ball for me for a minute and tell me what you think happens in the midfield if Coughlin is back. Um, I My guess would be that the manager would love to see the Chaka-Ramsey thing work, like really work. Um, and I don't think, you know, he's not going to, his choice would be to move Ramsey out to the right. I don't think he's going to straight out drop him at this point. So, I think at the, at the run, expense of who? It will be. Well, I don't think he'll do that either. But yes, at the expense of Iwobi, if Giroud's fit for for next week, and if Giroud starts, you know, uh, 
it all gets a bit complicated. The, the, the way to fit Ramsey in would be maybe to have Alexis at centre forward and then he has options to put on the other wing, be it Iwobi or whoever. But yeah, he's, he's got a lot of tough decisions co- to come along and a lot of upset people who aren't going to be getting games. I think he's going to... My guess would be he'll stick with Chaka Ramsey because um, that would give him two relatively winnable games for them to really uh, sharpen their teeth on as a pairing before he makes a decision... Uh, coming up to the Chelsea game. Um, so my guess is is a bit like the Perez thing, but in reverse. This is the time that he gets to to make that choice, try it out, be able to justify other people sitting it out because they're coming back from from injury and you know keep keep everybody's heads in the right place. Now's the time to try it out. Um, as opposed to Perez, where now is the time to try that, and he seems to be choosing not to. So, my guess is uh, that would solve a lot of problems for him if Chaka can take over that deeper lying role, and Ramsey can, uh, you know, the the breakdown did that coverage in terms of mileage. I don't know. I found this that reassuring, but that the, those two players ran more. Uh, kilometers than any other pairing uh, in our team this year. That's interesting. Uh, now you, yeah. Now, you might wonder why they were having to do that much running against Swansea. <laughs> Part of it is certainly Ramsey did really well in the second half, bombing forward and getting into attacking positions, which I guess we wanted. But still, it's one of those things. Is that a good statistic? If you had Pirlo in your midfield, would you be bragging about the fact that you had run more uh, miles than anybody else, that's probably not what you'd be yeah. looking to optimize. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because the funny thing is, Coughlin's gotten into very advanced positions this season, and yeah. that's where he's least effective in possession. I mean, out of possession, we know what he can do. I mean, the presumption has been if Ramsey gets into those advanced positions, then, you know, if, if he can even remotely ape what Coughlin provides defensively, and I realize very few people can, um, but, you know, with, with ball recoveries, then when he is recovering the ball in the attacking third, he's a lot more of of a weapon there. I mean, we did see him get denied a goal. Um, I thought a little bit unluckily. I mean, he was in a good position for it. So I I think at least... I think there's a lot of merit to that. And, you know, Chaka is pretty good on the interceptions too and the the tackles. Um, I mean, he's fairly eye-catching. Nobody's quite as eye-catching as Coquelin. But, you know, when Ramsey really hits his stride, and I think he's getting close, Um, it could be a really interesting balance where they do pretty much offload what Coquelin was able to provide. And like you say, Ramsey will be picking the ball up in the final third where he's very, very dangerous when he hits form. Um, And just like Ozil, he can be another attacker on the shoulder of their defenders with with the runs he made. So I would guess the manager wants to, is crossing his fingers to see if that comes to pass. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, what about, Tim, I mean, what about you? Do you think Coughlin steps right back into the midfield? Uh, and if so, is it in place of Ramsey? I really, really don't know. I really, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes straight back in against Burnley. I wouldn't be. I tend to think he might not against Burnley. I think he might use, you know, a home game against the team with the worst away form in the division as, um, shall we say, an excuse to keep Jacker and Ramsey going for one more game. I do think that eventually he just doesn't really see that midfield without Coquelin, and actually it's probably a question of who ends up partnering Coquelin. Um, if he does, the other thing I could see him doing for Burnley at least is if he does put Coquelin back in, I don't think it will be at the expense of Ramsey. I think it might be the expense of Jacker. He might say, you know, Jack has played. He's played pretty much every game, hasn't he, since you know the end of November. <clears throat> um, so he and he played all over Christmas. So he might, you know, have have in mind that he could give Granite Jacker a breather. Um, do you think for it could game. lead to a run of games where Shaq is not involved? I mean, do you think there's a part of the manager that still isn't convinced maybe. by him? Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. I I could see that because the, the the issue because basically he really likes Coquelin and he wants him in the team, and he really likes Ramsey and he wants him in the team. Um, whereas Granite Jacker, 
I think Granite Jack has still been very up and down. Um, I, I think there are some things he gives us which are brilliant and almost indispensable, and there are some things that that I, I just don't think are quite there yet. And there are some things I worry might never be there. I mean, is he going to get any quicker? Is he going to get any more ambidextrous? Are, you know, are those things going to, or do you know, do we come up with a system that just minimises? minimizes those things I, you know I, I don't know that he's completely made that position his own but Ramsey and Coquelin together I, I find slightly jarring as well so I, I've got a feeling he might stick with Ramsey and Jack for Burnley and then I think for the cup game he might go with Ramsey and Coquelin and then from there he might we might start to see some decisions I mean when it when it comes to what will we do at Stamford Bridge in a couple of weeks? Cockerlam will, it's, so long as he's fit, Cockerlam will play. Absolutely no doubt about it. Um, so then he might use this this next three games. I wouldn't be surprised if there are three different partnerships where you know he sticks with Ramsey and Jacker, then goes Ramsey and Cockerlam, then goes Cockerlam and Jacker, and then makes a decision on what he does at Chelsea and kind of uses those games, not quite as a testing ground, but you know, he uses those games to make some informed decisions um, about what to do in there. Because what's quite obvious is he still, in the absence of Santi Cazorla, hasn't really got any idea what to do in there. Um, and, you know, Ramsey and Jack, I think, has got slowly better over the last couple of games. I still don't think it's quite enough to judge. Yeah. I'd certainly like to see it against Burnley. I think it's perfectly fine to have um, for that game to see if. if you know, we can have something there that, you know, even if it's not world beating, that at least works, um, which, which I, I still think it, it potentially could, um, given time. But I, I just don't think he sees that midfield without Francis Coquelin in it. So eventually he'll come back in, but he might use this weekend's game to say, well, you're just back from injury. I don't want to rush you. We'll stick with this for now. Yeah, and, and you know, the interesting thing, Tim, is that I... <laughs> Despite his defensive statistics, you know, the interceptions, the tackles, the ball recoveries, all of which he he is very good at, I acknowledge that, but I think there is a bit of a fallacy in saying that we are more defensively solid with Coughlin in the side because, yes, if we're sitting deep and using him as a shield, he's certainly going to be better at that than any of the players we have, but I think he also makes us much more vulnerable to being pressed in midfield. Um, I think when we're using him to go press high up the pitch, you know, certainly he can be effective in doing that, but that, that leaves acres of space behind Shaka to cover. So, yeah, I mean, look, we went on that long run of not keeping a clean sheet while he was fit and in the side, right? Um, mm. So, I, you know, I just wonder if there is um, a bit of a fallacy about, about our defensive solidity with Coughlin in the side the way we've been playing this season. I want to stay with you for one more second, Tim, and then uh, just quickly... Yeah get over to, to Paul for a second. I mean, did you want to expand on that, by the way? Uh, the only thing I'd say is I think that Wenger sees Coquelin as the kind of anti-Urzil, as it were, where Urzil's role is to almost run away from the ball and look for space. Then Coquelin is the one who runs about everywhere, basically, and kind of just tries to plug the gaps. And when you've got someone like Urzil in your midfield, you need someone with a lot of energy um, to cover the extra ground that that Ozil's presence gives you, so I, I think it's not so much a defensive thing, but it's a it's a more I think he sees Coquelin more as a balancer. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, so real quick, I want to stay with you just for a second, Tim. I mean, you had predicted that you thought Giroud would start this game, and then mm. he might revert back to Alexis center forward. So obviously, you knew Giroud would get injured. So good call by you. <laughs> uh, but but let's assume for a second that Giroud is not injured or when he is healthy. Mm. Quickly, do you believe that the manager still feels his best setup is Alexis at center forward, or are we now fully through the looking glass and right back to how we played for the last few seasons where Giroud is our, our starting center forward, first choice ahead of Alexis? Okay, so quick answer. I think that he knows that we're more effective with Alexis up front, but maybe he has trouble with the confrontation that dropping someone like Olivier Giroud 
um, particularly because he likes Giroud and he's just got him to sign a new contract. So I think really he knows that we're probably better with Alexis, but he would keep Giroud going until such time that he fails. However, if this injury keeps him out on Sunday and Alexis plays and he plays well, I think he'll stick with it. I mean, I, that's horrendous if true, right? I mean, if the reason yeah. he's not going with the best lineup is he's afraid of the confrontation with the player, that's a shame. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and you know, just really quickly for my part, I, we got a little glimpse of it, of Alexis playing, you know, center forward when Giroud went off um, in this game. I, I don't think it's fair to compare because there's a big difference between the last 30 minutes of a game when you're up by a few goals versus, you know, the first 60 minutes. So I won't dig into that too much, but I agree with you. I think we're still much more effective with Alexis up front. And, you know, it's interesting. I catch a lot of hell on Twitter because I have sort of admittedly created a bit of a caricature of this notion that I'm anti-Giroud. I think I've been very clear on this podcast, certainly, that I like Giroud. I like him as a super sub. I just don't think we play as well stylistically and that it's not best uh, in the best interest of our best players when he's center forward um, from the start. But I put a poll out there. Do you think we're better with Alexis as center forward or Giroud center forward? And, you know, 82% of the nearly 1,000 people that answered said Alexis. So while... You know, I, I do catch a lot of abuse from people saying he's scoring goals and still you hate him. Ultimately, I think the overwhelming majority of people still see that we are better with that mobile front man. Um, anyway, so, Paul, I, I know you're going to hop off the podcast here in a second. We're going to wrap up anyway. But I, I wanted to at least make sure you got a chance to, to discuss what really is the key issue from the match. Uh, Alexis pouting after being substituted. Um, just the crazy mentality of a guy who loves to play every minute or... Uh, pantomime show for the fans and the media in his ongoing contract negotiation? I don't know. Maybe a bit of both. I think it's there's a bit of the diva about him right at this moment. Um, it's interesting, though, he's expressing it in the sense of complaining that he wants to play more. Um, I mean, he always... He always threw his toys around a little bit. Now he's just throwing them a little harder at the wall. Um, I also think that um, this is the first time where he's been... I mean, he's on top of the scoring charts for the Premier League at the moment. He's on 14, I think, alongside like Hazard and Diego Costa. And Diego Costa's maybe screwing himself out of a couple of games. Does anybody think that Alexis Sanchez didn't want to score more goals against Swansea and doesn't want to be the uh, golden boot the golden boot winner in the Premier League, given that, you know, we have at best a one in six chance of winning the league at the moment and he likes winning stuff. I'm not saying it's all of it. Uh, I think there might be a few things going on and certainly he's he's uh, making a statement in terms of his importance in the team and maybe from a contract standpoint and maybe, you know, even wanting to be uh, the Golden Boot may just shore up his case for his contract and also catching other teams' eyes. So it's not that I don't think there's anything going on here. I just think it's all quite containable, uh, potentially. Now, maybe it's a bigger point, but it's a, at this point, if this is all he ever does, which is every few games complain he got taken off, I think we can live with that. I mean, he did release uh, the hostage video today on the official account saying how happy he is at the club while holding up a newspaper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but if it be, if this is a, an opening salvo to uh, that leads into bigger displays of frustration or some statements start coming out about him not feeling the club is lined up, you know, this could be phase one of a multi-phase kick, you know, kicking up a fuss and and forcing his way out. He just doesn't seem particularly like that kind of guy. He does seem like the kind of guy who'd get pissy when you take him off because in his mind, he's invincible and invulnerable, never gets injured, gets stronger the more he plays. And while he understands managers needing to rest players and take players off to give other people time, and he agrees with that, he agrees with it for everybody else but him. And he wants to stay on. He thought he just got his goal for Swansea against Swansea and he wanted a couple more. This is my hope. I'm not sure about it. But I think it's a bit of diva, a bit of flexing his muscles from a uh, subconsciously from a contract standpoint. 
loves a bit of attention and uh, he wants to be golden boot. So, hey, don't fucking take me off when there's goals in the game. Yeah, look, and That's my hope. We're all aware of our identity. I mean, one of the reasons I played the Giroud jokes on Twitter is I realized that people now identify me as the anti-Giroud guy, even though, you know, it's a lot more nuanced than that. I've admittedly played to the gallery. Like, Alexis Sanchez knows that his thing, his persona is... I work out twice on our off days and you can't take me off the practice pitch and you can't take me off during the games and all I want to do is play. And, like, there might be a little bit of the playing to that persona now. You know what I mean? We all develop an identity that we then start to feed back into. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a little bit of that going on and maybe he just overdid it a little bit you know everybody has their there's definitely something going on though isn't there there's a bit of extra mustard mustard on this but he's such a weird guy i mean you you know you look at the 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 argument he had with ramsey on the pitch the other day and you know the the hanging his head after the bournemouth game i mean there's a lot of expressiveness about this guy i i just i guess i just can't figure out if it's if it's there's some extra frustration at the moment though maybe so Maybe so. And it, it might be him looking around and saying, do I want to be hooked up to this team of losers who are holding me back, who, as he said last year, didn't have the hunger to win? Um, now, it, it mightn't be a deliberate philosophy, but he's probably evaluating just how much of a team of winners he's he's tied to this season as he looks into the final stretch. And he doesn't want to be taken off because the one thing he can do for himself is the golden goals if the manager just stopped fucking taking him off when there's goals in a game. Yeah, I mean, he certainly would have been in a position to score a few more the way that the rest of that game broke down. So, all right, well, Paul, we'll let you go. Um, I know you got to right. run. We're, we're getting Thanks, ready to guys. wrap up anyway. Uh, we'll talk to you after Burnley. So, Paul's on Twitter, pausing in my pants. Cheers. Uh, Tim, bye, guys. Bye. Uh, Tim, do you think the Alexis thing is overplayed, or are you concerned yeah. that there's something more nefarious at work in the background? Uh, completely overplayed. Um I'll, I'll tell you why. There, there is no difference. He has always been like this since the day he stepped into the club. That's kind of all my memory of it too. Yeah. yeah, all that's happening now is that it's garnering more attention because of the contract, the contract thing. He has always done this. He's always like, I lost count of the amount of times I've seen him throw his gloves down and walk off the pitch when we haven't won. Like it happens every time we don't win. He does that. All that's happening at the moment is there's this big story about Willie won't he sign a contract. So all that's happening is, you know, the TV cameras focus on it a little bit more. There's a bit more chat chat about it. And the thing is with Alexis as well is that, um, and, and conscious of the way I'm phrasing this, it's, it's not a criticism whatsoever, but he leaves a bit of a vacuum as far as, you know, the coverage is concerned because he doesn't talk to the media at all. Even when he goes back to Chile, to play for Chile. He doesn't give any interviews to Chilean newspapers. So he's a very difficult guy to read because he doesn't say anything. Right, so he everything has to be you... inferred from body language and behavior. There's no exactly. there's no um, uh, direct statements, you know, sort of first-party statements that can maybe contradict some of the interpretations exactly. of body language. Exactly. And why, why do we get, you know, why do most Arsenal fans get a slightly better feeling about Ozil's contract situation? He gives interviews. He says he likes London. He says he likes going to restaurants. You know, Alexis doesn't do, do that. He's never done that. He didn't do it in Italy. He didn't do it in Spain. He didn't do it in Argentina. He didn't do it at home. He just doesn't talk to the media because he's a private guy. And um, I, I kind of get the impression that, you know, he reminds me in many respects of Cristiano Ronaldo in that you get the, you get the, the impression that Alexis doesn't have many close friends in football, but not because he's a divisive character or anything like that. He's just, you know, he's absolutely dedicated to the game. And, you know, and, and any like you, you listen to interviews with any of Ronaldo's teammates, they all say, you know, look, he's nobody's best friend here, but he doesn't have any problems with anyone and no one has any problems with him. Um, whether it's just they let some of the more diva aspects possibly of his personality slide because he's such a good player that wins them trophies and medals and win bonuses and the rest of it. There may be something in that, but he he doesn't strike me as a divisive character. He's just a quiet character. He's always done this. It's just there's a little bit more focus at the moment and there's just that vacuum because he doesn't give you anything else. He doesn't doesn't talk, he doesn't 
you know, even to Chilean journalists, he doesn't talk to them. Um, all we know is that he likes playing football a lot and he likes he likes his dogs. That, that's pretty much all we get. I think, though, um, some of Wenger's comments on it were quite pointed in that I don't think he was bothered about Alexis, you know, having the hump about coming off. But all of Wenger's comments were... You know, I had Welbeck there. I had a guy who's barely played for the last two years and he needs minutes. And, you know, where, where, who else are you going to take off for Welbeck? You know, at that stage, if you, there's a limited number of positions that he can play. They're all in the forward line. With 4 nil up, you've got to take a forward off to put Welbeck on. And, and it wasn't so much just a, let's give Alexis a bit of a breather. It was, this is a perfect chance to give Welbeck some minutes. Um, and that's where all of his focus was. It was, I wanted this guy, you know, because we're going to need him and he needs competition. And probably Lucas Perez as well, who's, you know, in many respects quite unfortunate not to be getting more time on the pitch. He's got to look after him as well. So I think his comments were a bit more that I'm fine with you having the hump about coming off. I'd much rather deal with that than you'd be happy to come off. But at the same time, there are other guys. We've got lots of forwards at the moment who aren't getting game time. We've got one who's coming back from a big injury and this was the perfect opportunity to give them minutes and even get them a goal or two right, yeah. um, against that Swansea defence. So I, I think that that's slightly more where the if you, if you can be asked to feel any annoyance about this, that's where it should be. Yeah, that's fair. I, look, I, I tend not to make too much of these things. Um, So I, it doesn't worry me that much. I mean, obviously I am concerned that he won't resign, um, but not Mm. because of any of this. But not because of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly, exactly. And unfortunately, if he doesn't resign, everybody's going to retrospectively look back and say, Oh, you know, he acted like a diva the whole time. He was such a jerk. And as we are wont to do with players who leave us, we'll paint him to be the enemy of the people, which I think is tremendously unfair. Um, Two really, really quick questions to finish. One is just about Ozil. Um, is he having a poor season? I mean, the goals have maybe masked the fact that, you know, he, he's not, he hasn't been providing as much as he did. And, and that's in part due to the dynamic of how he and Alexis were playing together when Alexis was center forward. But it, it does seem to me that he is maybe struggling a little bit to be as influential as he was, at least in the, in the beginning of the season where I thought he was playing better. Are you at all concerned about the level of his performance? Not really, no. I thought um, it, it's really worth watching uh, Adrian Clark's breakdown um, of this game. He, he goes into Ozil. He actually highlights Ozil as uh, one of our most effective players and one That's of good. the reasons um, in the second half that we were able to really turn the screw. I think in the first half, he was, he was quite deep. Um, he was coming back to get the ball, and I, I had the sense that that was a little bit deliberate. Um, to try and collect the ball off of Granite Jacker, but um, at the same time, I'm <clears throat> I'm not hugely concerned. I think most players that went to the Euros and went deep in the Euros, um, this happens to them most seasons. Most of them come back, and for the first half of the season, I mean, Ramsey's probably a prime example. For the first half of the season, are either barely involved through injury or a shadow of themselves. Um, I think. For Ozil, yeah, maybe the goal. I, I think I don't think trading off the assists for the goal scoring. I think that's fine. I think what's probably happening with Ozil is that Alexis is becoming more important, um, and that actually Alexis is the one that's really grabbing hold of this team this season. And actually, he's doing quite a lot of the creative work as well. Um, and maybe he's muscling in on Ozil's territory a little bit because. He's becoming emboldened in this team, and and whereas before it really felt like that maybe this was, you know, sixty percent Özil's team and forty percent Alexis's. It feels like that maybe the scales have tipped the other way this year. Um, but I, I really I thought that this was a classic Özil performance, really against Swansea. It's one of those ones where you don't think he's done a lot, and then you watch the highlights and. Um, you realise he's done quite a bit and you look at the numbers and you realise he's been involved quite a lot. So I think by his standards, maybe, that you know, he can do better. Um, but I still think he's operating a 
pretty decent level and I think there are a few things in the team that have probably changed around him that needed to change like we needed Iwobi to come in and kind of help a little bit with that that creative side of the game because it started to really dry up at the end of last year and yeah. you know Alexis at centre forward I still think the relationship those two have Ozil and Alexis not just because they are best players but the understanding they have is you know up there with possibly really only Hazard and Costa comes close to it in the league at the moment. Well, and I mean, he gave uh, Sanchez 13 passes, second only to Ramsey, who he gave 14. I mean, he continues to look for Sanchez every game. And, you know, it's interesting. He he only passed to Giroud five times. And you can say, well, Giroud was playing center forward. They get fewer passes from the midfield. But even when Alexis was playing center forward, Ozil was averaging, you know, 12, 13, 15 passes to Sanchez, sometimes even more. I mean, he is a very intelligent player, and he has identified that Alexis is the key man to get the ball to, and he gets it to him. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. I, I was just curious to get your take on that, and that actually reassures me. So I'll finish with this. Um, it is going to be an almighty battle for top four, and while nobody wants to be mm. thinking top four in January, we want to be thinking title. Realistically, it's on the agenda, and my question mm. for you is very simple. Is this the year we fall out of the top four? Um, no, I don't think it will be, but um, I, I still think we'll finish third or fourth primarily because I don't think that much of Liverpool's squad depth. Um, I think Tottenham as a U- I think Tottenham and their first eleven might be the best unit in the league up there with Chelsea. Um, I was able to catch their game against West Brom in in a pub in Swansea, and, and honestly, I thought they were awesome. I think. The, problem for Spurs is similar to Liverpool they don't have an awful lot in reserve um, and they didn't spend particularly well over the summer this is exactly the same team as last year but well and you're talking you about two teams two... that rely on a press and we know that that can yeah. really, that can take its toll by you know March April indeed indeed and it looked like Batongan picked up a pretty nasty injury and you look at who's coming in for him uh, you know Vimmer who looks rubbish to do you me. want to hear a crazy statistic and, They've allowed five goals from open play this season. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's absolutely insane. Um, but they're they're not great with set pieces um, quite as much. But yeah, exactly because they just they absolutely swarm you. But I think them and Liverpool. I think you take a piece or two out, and you know we've seen it with Liverpool recently. Their form's not been nearly as good. Mane, Coutinho out, and that's pretty much you know, really, really got to them. Um, You know, City are having their own troubles. I think that squad needs a lot doing to it. Um, I think the ones that, you know, I I think Chelsea will go on and win the league. Um, I do think United look to have sorted themselves out now and will probably finish in the top four as well. Um, It's going to be, I don't think we will finish outside, but that's not me being... You know, cocksure. Um, it's definitely a danger and one we should take seriously. And I'm not, you know, staking my mortgage on it or anything. I just have a feeling that we'll be okay in that respect. But you know, when you look at some of the fixtures we've got left, you know, we've got big away games, and it's not just a question anymore of we might have to take some points from some tough grounds to win the league. It 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 could well be we we have to take some points from some tough grounds to finish in the top four. Yeah, I, I mean. We go to Anfield, we go to Spurs, we go to Stamford Bridge. I don't if we know lose th- all three of yeah. those. Yeah, that's my that's my question. Can we lose all cooked. three of those and come top four? No. No, I don't no, think so. Can't. So I mean <laughs> that's pretty scary. You know? Yeah, it's um it's very, very little margin for error, which is why I was very I was really annoyed by the Everton and Man City games because I thought we gave up cheap points. I don't think we came up against particularly good teams and we we dropped cheap points. We didn't need to... You know, ordinarily you'd say losing at Everton and City, well, that can happen. You know, if you have a good performance, you can still lose at those places. But I, I don't think Everton and City played that well and I think we threw away really cheap points and that's, you know, yeah. it leaves us very little margin for error now. Well, we'll see. I mean... We don't have to worry about that this coming weekend. Home to Burnley should be doable, right? Uh, it really ought to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and i got to tell you, I mean, I hate to say it, I don't see us beating Southampton away in the FA Cup. 
Um, I, I mean, obviously we can. That's not a ground we've had. Do. Really? <laughs> just, yeah. just to be contrarian? <laughs> no, well, Southampton have got this cup replay. They've lost their last four league games now, so they're obviously putting a lot into this League Cup semi-final, I think, emotionally, psychologically. They've got a cup replay as well. They're going to have played a lot of games in January, and they had... They were the team that was screwed the most by the Christmas fixtures. They were the the only team who had the schedule that they had, and it seems to have really taken its toll. So if it's them we play instead of Norwich, um, I think it will be as good a chance as ever to go and win at St Mary's. I mean, we did just struggle at Preston, but I, I do hear you. I mean, yeah, yeah. you just undermined my point, though, which was going to be maybe we'll get a little bit of a rest on FA Cup weekends. <laughs> but... You know, and not have the probably, fixture congestion, but maybe not. <laughs> probably not. No. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm fairly confident. Um, and in fact, I think there's an argument to say it might be better to play Southampton than Norwich, particularly if, if Southampton make the League Cup final. I I think they'll almost throw the FA Cup um, in favour of trying to win the League Cup. The problem is, aren't those fixtures on the same weekends? Like, wouldn't we have one of those situations where we'd have no match that weekend and then have, like, a midweek match to play our FA Cup tie or something like that? Uh, no, no, the FA Cup one will be all right. What, what we'll have is we're due to play Southampton away in the league on League Cup final weekend. Oh, that's... So that's Southampton, yeah, if they get to the League Cup final, then we get a midweek game there. Great. Um, can we at least agree we're not going any further than the Champions League? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, okay, cool. I, th- I think so, yeah. <laughs> All right, this has gone on long enough. Uh, join us for more predicting the future on our next edition of the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. Anyway, uh, Paul had to run, as you know. We said goodbye to him already, but Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Yeah, my name is Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us five stars and then write nasty stuff in the review, and that way everybody gets what they're looking for. Um, because let's face it, the Internet is not the Internet if the comments aren't like the most virulent, hateful thing you've ever read. Um, we will come back after the Burnley game, and until then, hopefully we will have another uh, four-goal dominating victory to discuss with Alexis Sanchez up front. That Otherwise, I'm boycotting. I'm just done. Anyway, uh, cheers, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend.